This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, January 5th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Bill Masters celebrates 45 years at the Sheriff's Office. A fresh face for the new year, finding power in the stars for 2024 and a mountain weather forecast. At the end of December, Sheriff Bill Masters celebrated 45 years at the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office. It's been uh, great. I'm really glad that the people have put up with me for so long. And it's um, and once again, it's been a rewarding career. Most of the times we can, we can go home at night and say we try to make the place a little better. And, and so that's important. Masters didn't start his career as sheriff in San Miguel County. He was first hired as an undersheriff and a Telluride marshal before that. And then in 1980, the sheriff resigned to become a county commissioner, and I was appointed for two years by the Board of County Commissioners to fill his slot. And then uh, more like a year and a half, I guess. And, and then uh, then I had to run. The rest is history. Masters has been reelected ever since. Back in those early days, Masters says the sheriff's office looked quite different. For one, there were only three officers working. Being sheriff, you still had to be a deputy all the time. You had to, a lot of times you were the only person for 1,280 square miles. of, And so you had to, you didn't have any backup. You, your deputies might have been off or whatever. And so you, it, it was a, um, it did seem like a big responsibility. Masters recollects while sitting in Cotto's recording studio underneath one of his early campaign posters on the wall. And as you can see from that picture behind me, I looked like I was like 12. And here I was running around telling a lot of these uh, miners and, and ranchers and different people to straighten up, you know, and, and uh, um, you know, I was just a little kid. You know, So I, I think they were shocked. A lot of people when introduced, they, they couldn't believe that the sheriff was such a youngster, and what was I, 26 or something. Masters acknowledges he made mistakes when he was starting out as the, quote, straight man in the comedy routine of Telluride, but he says it made him grow up quick. Over the past 45 years, he notes, the community and the job has changed. In the old days, we would we would pretty much um, not apply the law. We, we kind of applied logic and, and, and common sense to the problems that we had to deal with. And you know, I look back on it, and and today the things that I did probably I'd get indicted for. But uh, um, you know, we sometimes we literally kick people in the fanny. You know, I mean, now they were they could have been arrested, they could have been charged and taken to the court, and they and they could have been put in the jail. Of course, we didn't have a jail. We had, the jail was in Montrose. So if people were messing up and drunk and doing something um, bad, sometimes there was sidewalk justice being done. and, and um, But that was common throughout the United States at the time. Masters also remembers banishing people back in those days. I remember taking people to the county line, just like, you, you know, it's not for you. Tell you right, it's not for you. You, you, don't, you don't belong here. We would do those kinds of things. And of course, highly illegal today to go and, uh, you know, take people to the top of Dallas and tell them to, you know, keep going, you know. So, we we did those kinds of things, and and you know they were obviously nowadays we look back on it like that was that was we can't do that today. But Masters adds he's not sure we're necessarily in a better place now. He has concerns about the state of policing. We've never been 
under such a microscope as we are today. We've gone way too far in trying to control everything that the police do. And, and we need to – there's a problem. We need to recruit better. We need to train better. We need to make the chief or the sheriff accountable for their officers and what they do. Sheriff Master says he knows he won't be in the role forever. He's 72. But for the time being, he still loves his job and his work. Just just being being the man, you know, being the sheriff is, is, a, is a good job. And I keep telling you, it's the greatest, greatest uh, show on earth. Sheriff Bill Masters recently celebrated 45 years with the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office. He was re-elected into the position in 2022, marking 12 consecutive terms serving the county the longest-serving sheriff in Colorado. This may come as little surprise. According to Google search data from 2023, Colorado ranks first in the 50 states when it comes to skincare issues and concerns. Facing midwinter dryness, snow glare, and sun, KOTO's Gavin McGough called up Ginger Medrick of Studio G Facials here in Telluride to get some skincare tips for the coming year. Medrick begins their conversation by recalling how Studio G got started. I moved to Telluride about eight years after I started my skincare career. And so moving to Telluride also brought different different challenges to the skin. It's so dry. Um, elevation changes seemingly everything um, as far as products go, as far as how your skin reacts to things, um, the challenges that your skin undergoes at elevation versus sea level. You've now um, stuck it out and spent like two decades practicing skincare in Telluride. Uh, Looking back on that time, what makes skincare unique kind of in this broader world of wellness? Your skin is a tell. Your skin is telling you when something's going on with the skin, your skin is telling you that something's wrong on the inside. It's our largest, it's our largest organ. And so if things aren't going well in the body, they're going to oftentimes come out in the skin doesn't always happen for that that way for everybody, but it happens that way for a lot of people. I think a lot of people, especially with acne, think it's all topical and it's a major bacteria issue. But more often than not, it's a toxin that's coming out of the skin, either from your digestive system or your liver or emotions. It's interesting to think about how um, kind of holistic and connected to other parts of health skincare is. Uh, will you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, gut health. Gut health is very important to how the skin behaves. If you have digestive issues, um, it's going to show up in your skin. If you have dry, flaky skin or patchy, dry skin, that is a really big indicator that your gut health is off. There are so many different avenues that you can take in um, correcting gut imbalances. And I would say in the last three years, the skincare industry has really harnessed the um, internals, knowing that, you know, our skin is a reflection of what's going on inside our body. So if there's someone out there whose like skin is in a midwinter slump or uh, someone who is kind of like stepping into the new year and wanting to improve their skin, what is your high altitude 101 for them? Where, where should people start? I think the first thing is, is that if you're not wearing sunscreen on a daily basis, start. Um, that is absolutely positively the first place to start. The sun at elevation 
especially at our elevation, it's in the wintertime 50% stronger than it is at sea level, and in the summertime it's 30% stronger than it is at sea level. In the wintertime, it's because of that reflection off of the snow. So the sun, the UVA rays on a cloudy day are the longest rays. Those are the ones that really break our skin down and create a lot of aging in the skin. The UVB rays burn our skin. That's what gives us a tan or that's what gives us a sun burn. Both of them can be can wreak havoc on the skin um, and can really age the skin. So wearing a mineral sunscreen, preferably with zinc and titanium, that reflects the rays off of the surface of the skin is the best anti-aging treatment that you can give your skin. All right, Ginger, are there any like other key things we should know? Um, I would say also cleansing your skin on a daily basis with like, creamy cleansers, I would say specifically in Colorado, um, so you don't dry out that surface of the skin, is you know, to get that dirt and oil off, to get that sunscreen off on a daily basis is important so the skin can do its natural function of slightly exfoliating itself and can take the nutrients in from either your sunscreen that you're using or other topical products that you're using. May it it be serums, moisturizers, whatever, what have you. So this issue of of skin for some people is really emotional. Um, It can be, it can like even be psychological. What's it like to work with clients around something which is just so personal and, and multifaceted? So, People who have acne, I, my, my heart goes out to you. Um, I have definitely dealt with it in my life. That's what got me into this industry. I know that's what's gotten a lot of my coworkers into this industry um, because it's, it's sometimes hard to leave your house. And it's incredibly emotional. And it wears on your self-confidence and your self-esteem. And so we hope to help people in any way that we can to combat that from a natural and holistic standpoint, and oftentimes that takes a lot longer than taking some medicine. Um, But in the long run, you end up healing the root cause of the skin condition. And that's what we're after at Studio G. That was Ginger Medrick, who started Studio G when she first moved to Telluride. The studio is now entering its 21st year serving the Telluride community. Find out more at telluridefacials.com. At the moment of each person's birth, the planets and stars were aligned just so. Natasha Hennessy says that placement provides vast insight into who we are. We can learn a lot about ourselves, how one lands in this lifetime in relationship to their physical, their mental, their emotional, their spiritual, their energetic dispositions, uh, and or qualities as well as potential. Hennessy is an astrologist, and this weekend she will be hosting a Star Power of 2024 workshop to kick off the new year with an expanded perspective. What we can see in this workshop and what I'll offer will be how the sun moves uh, through each sign and moves through each month and each season, how the lunations are uh, every 28 days going through various uh, new moon to full moon cycles in, and wa- waxing and then waning. I will uh, touch on the eclipses, which unpack big change. I will also be talking about the major players of 2024, which are the most outer planets, uh, Neptune, Uranus, Pluto. She notes 2024 is a big year for changes. We are moving from cardinal signs for the last 15 years into fixed 
signs, which will uh, go from uh, initial change, like sort of the pain of, of the uh, initial actions, to really embodying and applying some uh, some major action behind initial changes. Hennessy hears and knows the claims of pseudoscience or woo-woo when it comes to astrology, but for her, it's extremely natural, helping humans navigate their relationships with nature. It often rings true, and I think that's what, but why people um, poo-poo and woo-woo astrology so much is because they don't understand it. And so with understanding comes this acceptance of, of the uh, nature of astrology and the language of astrology and all the information in astrology. And then let's, like anything, utilize it for its usefulness um, and its application. And it's uh, all it is intended to do is help us learn and grow, ultimately evolve. And that is our soul's purpose anyways, or our, our own purpose anyways, however you want to refer to that. Hennessy notes, astrology isn't recreating the wheel on who we are or how we behave. You already know. You already know who you are, how you are, what you need to do. And what astrology can offer is a mirror, a mirror to reflect to you more insight, more wisdom, frankly, and and clearer information so that we get our subjective mind a little bit more out of the way. Astrology apps and the number of people dipping their toes into the stars have been increasing over the past several years. Hennessy says she believes that comes from a collective awakening. I believe people have been gravitating towards astrology because there is a, a an enormous pull in the collective consciousness, in the stars, uh, so that we are uh, waking up from um, ignorance, misguidedness, um, misinformation, and we've needed that in order to flesh out what matters most, because our entire uh, planet, universe, and people are attempting to make better, not just more sense, but better, clearer sense of of our purpose and our paths in this life. And frankly, for the past to heal, the present to get clear, and the future to be more empowered. The Star Power for 2024 workshop will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library on Saturday, January 6th from 2 to 4 p.m. Registration is available at telluridelibrary.org. Come lunch, you might be hungry for a sandwich, a cup of soup, or a ski. Feed your hunger for a breath of fresh air and some corduroy tracks with a lunchtime learn-to-ski clinic at the Telluride Nordic Center this January. The clinics run in Town Park from noon to one. No experience is necessary and gear is available. Beginner ski lessons take place on Mondays throughout the month. Beginner skate ski lessons are on Tuesday with intermediate skate ski lessons on Thursday. Register and learn more at TellurideNordic.com. In a decision announced last month, a powerful Colorado water agency is in the process of buying one of the oldest water rights on the Colorado River. The Colorado River District in Glenwood Springs is prepared to spend nearly $100 million to acquire water rights currently used by the Shoshone Power Plant. Andy Mueller is head of the district. He says the transfer will support efforts to protect endangered fish. If those endangered fish don't survive, all of our water users in the state will need to comply with the Endangered Species Act requirements individually, and it will cost billions of dollars to meet that compliance. So... We can't let that program fail. And this water right secures that flow. 
Mueller says the transfer also ensures that water will be available for recreators, farmers and ranchers on Colorado's western slope. The River District says it has the support of 19 local governments and other water entities. The 2024 legislative session starts at the state capitol next week. KOTO State House reporter Lucas Brady-Wood says top Democratic lawmakers are determined to address Colorado's housing crisis. Last year, the legislature's Democratic majority failed to pass their flagship housing bill. It would have changed land use rules across the state in order to increase housing density. Now the party's leadership wants to break the bill down into multiple measures for this year's lawmaking term. Senate Majority Leader Robert Rodriguez says an important piece of that will be legislation focused on the intersection of housing and public transportation. Looking at density in the transit areas where we have some of this train and rail that we can get more access to more dense housing for people that may not want to own a car and can commute back and forth and get everybody to work. Other housing measures will focus on zoning and property tax reforms. Rodriguez says there will also be bills around public safety, health care costs, climate change, and economic inequities. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. Fort Garland in the San Luis Valley was built to protect and help early white settlers colonize the American West. Kit Carson was appointed the commander of the fort after he waged a violent campaign against the Navajo people. Buffalo Soldiers Revision is an exhibit by History Colorado seeking to reframe the story of Fort Garland to also include the stories of Native people and the hundreds of formerly enslaved Black Buffalo soldiers who lived and served there in the late 1800s. KGNU's Alexis Kenyon spoke with Eric Carpio, the director of History Colorado's Fort Garland exhibit. In the mid-1860s, you know, the United States embarks on this violent campaign against the Navajo, really trying to flush out the Navajo from their homelands. Another space is created. Many today would describe it as almost a concentration camp located, you know, hundreds of miles from Navajo homelands. And so as part of this campaign, Ultimately, the United States military drives over 10,000 Navajo hundreds of miles across the state of New Mexico. And if you talk to Navajo elders or historians, they would call this really like the darkest hour, the darkest times of, of their history, right? Um, and so Carson was on the, on the front lines of that on behalf of the United States military. And so it's after that campaign that he's transferred to Fort Garland, in essence, to deal with the youth that are here in this area. And ultimately, after he arrives at Fort Garland, I think right after he leaves, actually, a treaty is signed here that effectively results in the removal of all youth from the San Luis Valley and onto the western slope. And over the course of the next 10 years or so, youth lands would get smaller and smaller to where we're at today with three different youth reservations, two in Colorado and one in Utah. From 1950 until 2018, at the center of the story of Fort Garland was the story of Kit Carson. And so in the Commandant's Quarters, there was an exhibition, you know, devoted to Carson, arranged in that house museum style, where you would see a full-size mannequin depicting Carson sitting at a desk in conversation with another full-size mannequin depicting Chief Uray. And that scene was supposed to depict treaty negotiations. And then you would go down the hallway and see a replica of maybe what living quarters would have looked like for a commander at the fort during that time period. 
So the original curators at the time felt that, you know, this would be the story that would draw the most attention from visitors and tourists, community members and otherwise. I'm curious, do you know how members of the U felt about that exhibit? Yeah, that's a great question. I've heard, you know, directly from members of the Native American community, from the indigenous community who had visited Fort Garland, that that exhibition um, was, could be viewed, but probably was viewed as uh, traumatic. Yeah, I mean, just the idea that, um, you know, that a military fort, you know, in this part of the country that was established during that time period to be on the front lines of removal of Native people, and in this case, you people from the area, um, that the space itself holds a lot of trauma and a lot of, you know, pain that hasn't necessarily been, you know, reconciled with, that hasn't been, you know, addressed fully by the museum, by the historic society. And so in the last several years, we've done some work to really try to broaden perspectives to bring in more voices, particularly Native voices. I've had people point blank tell me that this is the first time that they felt welcome here in the space because their, you know, Mm -hmm. stories had either been erased before or caricaturized. But there's been a lot of work that we've needed to do here at the museum that's still underway, quite frankly. The exhibit focuses on Buffalo soldiers who were formerly enslaved Black soldiers that joined the military and then were shipped north. And at Fort Garland, they were sent to push the Ute from their lands. Your exhibit highlights one of these Buffalo soldiers named John Taylor. Will you tell me about John Taylor and how you explore his life in the exhibit and his relationship with the Ute? John Taylor, after he earned his freedom, he fought on the Union side of the army during the Civil War. After the Civil War and after emancipation, once the Buffalo Soldier units were established, John decided to enlist in one of the infantry units uh, where he was sent out west. He ended up settling in the Durango area and marries Kitty Cloud, who's a Ute woman. And as a matter of fact, in one of his oral histories, he claims to be uh, the first white settler of the Pine River Valley, which is really interesting because you look at photos of John Taylor, he's obviously not a, a white man, but He's basically what he's saying is he's non-native, right? That he's American, that he's free. And so John Taylor becomes a really interesting vehicle to explore these issues of relationships between African-American soldiers and native people in the West, especially when you examine, you know, his life and the lives of his children and descendants. Eric, let's talk about the actual exhibit. What can people expect to see? Um, Can you give us some examples? The way that I usually describe the exhibit is that the exhibit is exists at the intersection of history, art, and place. And place being important because Buffalo soldiers were, you know, stationed here at Fort Garland. The exhibit is in the West Officers Quarters, which is a space where officers and their wives would have lived. It's the exhibit also exists in a space that black soldiers would have occupied because African-American soldiers weren't allowed to rise to the rank of officer. And I think there's a, a power to putting this exhibit in that space. And so you walk into the exhibit and you're greeted by an image of John Taylor side by side with Buckskin Charlie. Buckskin Charlie is one of John Taylor's closest friends. He's a youth person. And it's just a really beautiful image that I think invites people in. But 
we've got several different paintings and collages that depict different elements of Buffalo Soldier history. Uh, we've got a few murals that utilize historic photographs and historic images from that time period of Buffalo Soldiers. Two of the contributors are poets. And so we've got poetry and other written work in the show that allow an opportunity for visitors to reflect on different elements of this history through the lens of African-American and Native American artists. I mean, what do you think this story and retelling of this story means for the American narrative or in the American identity? Yeah, that, that it's that's more complicated, right? Um, I mean, you think about the history of the West in particular. Often Native Americans and Mexicanos are caricaturized. Often African-Americans often are completely erased mm-hmm. from the history of the West. And with Buffalo Soldiers Revision, we, you know, take, we take those folks and put them at the center of the story. And I hope that through that, that really challenges that mythology that we have learned about our, our history and, and who we are, and also embraces uh, and brings in voices that should have been there from the very beginning. That was Eric Carpio, the director of History Colorado's Fort Garland exhibit, speaking with KGN News' Alexis Kenyon. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around 10 degrees. One to two inches of snow accumulation is possible. Saturday should be mostly cloudy, becoming clear, with a chance of snow showers and a high in the mid-20s. Saturday night, expect snow showers, with a low around 10 degrees. One to three inches of snow accumulation is possible. Sunday calls for snow showers during the day and snow showers at night. The high is near 20 degrees, with a low around 10. This has been the news for Friday, January 5th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. The League of Women Voters of the Uncompahgre Valley wishes everyone a healthy and prosperous new year. This new year, 2024, is a very important year. With two primary elections in March and June, and the general election in November, there is much for voters to understand and decide. The League of Women Voters will keep you informed in a number of ways. We will focus on voter education, registration, and participation throughout this very busy year. You can meet the candidates and ask your own questions of them at our candidate forums. We will demystify the many ballot issues at presentations throughout our three county service area, Delta, Montrose, and Uray. We will present expert speakers to address important issues such as water conservation, property taxes, awareness of misinformation, disinformation, and others. These presentations will be both virtual and in person and recorded to access and view at your convenience. Information about the league activities and much more is on our website at www.lwv-uv.org. We are also found on social media. The League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan political organization whose mission is to empower voters, all voters, and defend democracy. The right to vote and participate in your democracy is precious. 
Use it to keep it. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You're also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.